Welcome to The Pilgrim Soul, a podcast about the journey of faith in the world of today. I'm your host, Adriana. And I'm Juliana. And we're here to talk to you today about kind of a heavier topic. We're going to talk about suffering. Yeah, while heavy, I think this is a really important topic, especially as we're facing the circumstances of the last year and just our culture more at large. I would say we've really lost a sense of the meaning of suffering and why we suffer. And I think here the Catholic Church has a really radical proposal to offer. So we're going to explore that in more depth today and talk about what it means to suffer well. Yeah, we're all shares in suffering. And I agree with you that our westernized culture so largely privatizes suffering and pain that we're unable to talk about it freely and really enter into those depths of our own experience. Oftentimes, this inability to talk about suffering has made our society and our culture less able to even deal with the suffering that's put before us. Yeah, I agree. And it's not just privatization, but it's also a running from suffering maybe is the right way to put it. Our lives offer so much convenience and immediate gratification that we've become accustomed to very quickly satisfying all of our desires and easing all of our pain. And when we can't do that, we fall into these attempts to numb the pain or to run from it, to ignore it. And yet these reactions do not heal, they cannot heal the source of our suffering. And so what we're left with is our own inability to stand in front of our human experiences and kind of this fundamental emptiness or a fracture in our life as a result of that. Yeah, it pretty much seems like that's the only solution the culture gives us is to either ignore suffering or work to completely eradicate it. And that's something that is really impossible for the human experience and that we've even begun this conversation with the question of how do I suffer well presupposes an acceptance of suffering that isn't present anymore in our modern culture where Christianity begins with an understanding that we will suffer and also that this suffering doesn't have to have the final answer. It isn't the evil that overshadows all good and leaves us in nothingness. Mm-hmm. If there's one thing we all have in common is that at one point or another, we will suffer. And I think that leads to a, it seems to me, very common question, which is, why does God allow suffering? God is good and God loves us. So why does he allow us to experience this pain? If we don't have an answer to that question, it only intensifies our suffering. Yeah, I think this can be a real stumbling block for many people, Christians and non-Christians alike. And it's painful because it acknowledges the reality of suffering in a way that it draws out our humanity. John Paul II talks about this too, that it's like a uniquely human experience to suffer. I mean, often we suffer physically, but also there's this enduring agony of the soul and that question of why is this happening to me? Questions of morality often pop up, like, have I done something to deserve this? It can be a really decisive turning point in people's lives of whether they grow closer to Jesus or complete abandonment and refusal and rejection of God because of suffering. Yeah, I agree. It's pivotal. And I think that there's 
an assumption to point out in the way that we're even asking the question. We don't believe that God causes suffering or wills it in any way. Rather, we're asking why he allows it. And that's just because, I mean, suffering and evil are so intertwined. We suffer when we experience evil, and God is goodness. He's the source of all that is good. And so in this sense, suffering is fundamentally opposed to the very nature of God and can be described as a separation, an estrangement from God that is a result of the fall. Yeah, that's helpful. And I think it's important to note what you're saying about suffering is this experience of evil, that Christianity also understands evil always in a metaphysical sense as a deprivation of the good. It has um, no metaphysical weight per se. It takes from the good, it's parasitical, and it distorts the good, it um, abandons the good, but it isn't its own positive force in the universe like you see in Star Wars, where there's the good and the bad force. It's a privation of the good. And our experience of suffering is tied to the fall, like you're saying, where we experience suffering almost because we experience the recognition that there is a good I'm made for that I am not living right now. Yeah. And I think what you're getting at, too, is the role of human freedom and God's great love of our freedom in this question of evil. God created man and woman with free will, and he loves and respects our free will so deeply that he even allows us to exercise that free will to turn away from him and to reject him. That rejection was the source of the fall and the introduction of original sin. Yeah, God takes a real risk in in loving our freedom so much. And it's painful, I think, to recognize. Mm -hmm. I think that even within Christianity, I've encountered a distortion of suffering, which takes the form of like a reduction that's overly mechanical, suggesting that our present suffering must happen in order for a future event to happen. I find that the phrase everything happens for a reason is often used in this way and can be really insensitive to the drama of suffering. You know, for example, I lost my job. Well, everything happens for a reason. Surely you'll find another better job soon. And the problem with this view is that it, first of all, it places limits on the way that God can work in our lives and on his power. And secondly, it just cannot satisfy as an answer because when we encounter grievous suffering, we cannot imagine a reason that would justify it. And so I think that it's, really important to be specific when we talk about suffering and instead of offering this reduction to be precise about the fact that God does not cause suffering in order for a good to happen, but rather he brings good forth from evil. And every experience of our lives, including our suffering, mysteriously contributes to our individual sanctification and the salvation of the whole world. Yeah, I think that's a really important clarification. It strikes me first that the attempt to reduce suffering by saying everything happens for a reason is, again, a product of our culture mm-hmm. and our our efforts to, one, minimize suffering and to give an answer for it so that we don't have to face it. And we don't have to face the mystery of suffering and the real question of it. And we find in scripture, you know, in Job, where he encounters such tremendous suffering. And we read Job as a novella with truthful themes. 
not necessarily for its historical accuracy. But nonetheless, Job isn't given an answer for his suffering. I mean, he's told in the end that it's mystery. Who counts the stars? It's God. And that's all he's left with. That and God's enduring presence. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a very rich theological question that has been studied really for millennia by every major world religion because of how fundamental it is to the human experience. But in Christianity, we believe that even though God does not give us an easy technical answer, he sends his own son to suffer with us. In fact, to take on our own suffering and to redeem it. Yeah, God's quote-unquote answer to suffering isn't to explain it away, but rather to enter into it with us and embody suffering too in the person of Jesus Christ. And I think that's where we really want to focus today, not at all to diminish the question that so many have and want a full answer to of why does suffering exist in the world and how does that coexist with a good God. But because this is such a big topic, we think it's better to focus more fully in another podcast or even if that this is a topic that really interests you to email us individually and we'll share other experiences and resources that we have. Yeah, that's exactly right. So we've acknowledged that we will always suffer and we've referenced the idea of redemptive suffering. And I'd like to posit that if we are able to suffer well, our suffering can be redemptive. In this sense, we can become sharers in the redemptive suffering of Christ. But in order to understand what that means, we need to first, I think, clarify what we mean by redemptive suffering. So how would you define that term? First, by acknowledging what we've said already, that suffering is intertwined with evil, so that the only possibility of redemption is that somehow good can be brought forth from evil, and only God can do this. And in a clear sense, redemptive suffering always and only refers to the event of Christianity that our redemption was accomplished through Jesus' suffering, through the cross of Christ. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really striking. In his passion, Christ experienced all of human suffering, we see immense physical pain, mental distress, the emotional pain of betrayal by his friends and complete rejection by the people that he loved and he came to save. And we also see on the cross spiritual suffering when he says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Mm-hmm. You know, it's the passion of Christ is so core to Christian life that I think we can become desensitized to the fact that every church that we walk into has an image of the instrument of torture used at the time of Christ's life with a man who is dying on it. That's not something that you would typically associate with worship and religion, and it's it's jarring almost. Yeah, it would be our equivalent to having an electric chair at the front of our altar. And we've become, like you've said, desensitized to the cross, but to look at it with fresh eyes can give us a new perspective and a new wonder before our own faith. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that this is why 
suffering has very profound meaning in the church. John Paul II describes it as something before which the church bows down in reverence because of the great faith that we have in our redemption through the suffering of Christ. And I think it's also important to emphasize that as we're meditating on Christ's embrace of our human suffering, that this act was completely voluntary. God's power is boundless. He could have chosen to redeem us in any number of ways. And Christ voluntarily took on, freely took on his passion as the form chosen before all time to redeem his people. Yeah, and when we look at the cross, it gives us consolation and hope precisely because in the cross we recognize both our eternal redemption, but also that our suffering, which cannot on its own bring any good, can now bring good because it too has been redeemed by Christ. As St. Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. This is the fundamental event that allows our suffering to have meaning. And I think because we're so familiar but haven't even entered into the Paschal Mystery enough that we can lose sight of this and lose recognition of what we're actually proclaiming. And that's that God entered into the ultimate suffering, death, and Jesus is as far from God as metaphysically possible in his acceptance of death and enters into nothingness only to create life and to create eternal unification with God and make that avenue possible for us. And that gives a tremendous final hope to our suffering. And that's not to say that in all of our sufferings on earth that we'll experience resurrection in them, because that's not always given. Again, it's not a way to answer enduring sufferings, but a source of hope for us amidst that suffering that the world cannot give. Well, and even with this redemptive power of suffering, it's not a given that we will have this experience of suffering in part because, again, of our own freedom. We have a choice in front of our suffering. I'm reminded of the good thief and the bad thief who were crucified with Christ. And one lived that experience by mocking Christ and blaspheming and despairing. And the other turned to Christ confident in his power and accepting his suffering. And Jesus told him, today you will be with me in paradise. And I think that that story really presents our own choice. Redemptive suffering engages our freedom because we can reject it. Yeah, I think that example of the good and bad thief moves us well to a conversation about how do I suffer well? Yeah. And I would say that the first step is to look our suffering in the face, to stand in front of our suffering and resist the temptation to hide it, to run away, to numb it. For me, this has sometimes been very difficult. For many years in college, I suffered with mental illness. I had a disordered relationship with my body and with eating. And for a long time, I completely isolated it from the good in my life, including from my faith. I would pray about everything else in my life except for this struggle, and viewed it as a personal battle that had to be overcome before I could 
approach him and be worthy of relationship with him. So it's not a given that we're able to do this, even for people of faith. You know, it took me a long time to realize that I was even reacting in this way precisely because of my desire to turn from the suffering. And bringing it to Christ, you know, when I did, it didn't heal my physical suffering or my mental suffering, but it healed my soul. It illuminated my life with the light of Christ and illuminated my struggles with the light of Christ. And in that sense, I began to be free from my darkness. I began to crawl out of the darkness. I would say that the first step is accepting our reality and then necessarily recognizing Christ's presence in it. Yeah, I'm really touched by what you're saying, Juliana, and it reminds me of a truth that I see so often. Jesus knows who we are and loves us as we are, and it's often us that can't love ourselves and blame ourselves for our own suffering. And we can often think that we can only approach God as our perfect selves, and so that we have to hide everything else. And that doesn't allow us to face our reality, and it doesn't allow us to really bring forth our most vulnerable selves to Jesus. I think that's where we often experience the glory, too. There's a quote I love by St. Augustine, where he said, In my deepest wounds, I found your glory, and it dazzled me. And it has always struck me, one, as true of my own life, but also that there's such an intimacy in relationship when you can share your wounds with another And I think we're afraid of that intimacy when we're not willing to share our own wounds with Jesus, who so clearly approaches us with his own. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and not only is it a beautiful place of encounter, but it's also to, to reject that is to reject the truth about Christ's passion and resurrection because he has already seen all our suffering. He has carried it on his back on Calvary. And two, we reject our own frailty and our dependence as if we could do anything on our own and as if we don't rely on God for every moment of our existence. And so I think the temptation to run from our suffering is not only destructive for us, but it also necessarily entails false beliefs about God and about human nature and a distortion of our faith. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think in talking about suffering, you and I have both really been moved by witnesses of suffering that have allowed us to have our own encounter with someone who faces suffering with the hope of God so clearly present within them. Would Mm -hmm. you want to share one of your own experiences? Yeah, I agree that I agree that the witness is really important. Of course, we see this in pretty much every single saint. And those are really beautiful stories that accompany us. But sometimes it can be easy to write off those examples. Oh, that's, you know, they're a canonized saint. I'm not. So that's not possible for me. But for me, the the people in my life, my friends and family that have suffered well, really shatter this myth and show me that it is possible for me too. And in my own life, the most prominent example is my dad, who was diagnosed with cancer very unexpectedly a couple of years ago. And praise God that he has now fully recovered, but it was a time of immense suffering. And yet he lived it 
from the very first day as a place of encounter. I remember when he got his diagnosis and he said to me, if this can, in the smallest way, conform me further to Christ on the cross, I gladly embrace it. And his actions throughout the months of treatment and suffering really showed this. For example, it was a time of renewal in his faith, specifically in his prayer life. And during the hours of chemo treatment, he would spend the whole time praying. And he was very open about his suffering, especially with us, his family, but also his whole community, as he was really convinced that his suffering was for us too. And he accepted whatever was to come, even death. And I saw with my own eyes the immense peace and the sanctification that he experienced as a result of his yes. And when I see that, I can no longer deny that, you know, that's possible for me too. Uh, regardless of my brokenness, that's an opportunity offered to all of us in our life. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Julie. Brian and I, my husband, were neighbors with your family during your dad's illness and felt very privileged to be part of the community in which he shared his own experiences of suffering. When I think back to that, I think about everything that you're saying and how he could both say, I'm glad to receive this if this brings me closer to Jesus on the cross. But also, you know, I watched so many little deaths occur to him, the loss of his hair and how tired he became and the loss of his intellectual vigor for a while mm -hmm. and still that he could approach every day and ask for that gift again to live his suffering united to the cross was really beautiful to witness mm -hmm. and really a, such an example for us in our marriage to see how your parents came together during that time too. Mm -hmm. And I think what that shows too is that the suffering of one of us is for all of us. The suffering of one member of the church is the suffering of the whole body of Christ. And so I think this leads to another aspect of suffering well. And it is, of course, exercising prudence in doing so, but inviting others into your suffering, asking for and receiving help, and allowing yourself to be accompanied. Again, we see this with Christ's own passion in the way that Simon of Cyrene helped him to carry the cross and Veronica wiped his face and John the Beloved and his mother stood under the cross. I think that's another aspect of suffering well. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, seeing that from your dad's own experience and my ability to share in that so clear, but also strikes me as something requiring a lot of bravery because you're letting someone into your own vulnerability and as we've already said, that's so countercultural that it almost requires more bravery because we're less able to do this nowadays. Yeah, I completely agree. This does not at all come easily to me, but having seen the value does make me feel more convicted to share more fully my own suffering. Um, so what would you say has been a formative experience of suffering in your life? I think my most transformative experience with suffering was when I developed a blood clot during my first pregnancy with Damien. I developed it at 33 weeks, and it was a total surprise. And I was misdiagnosed for a week and a half with sciatica, so I was just at home on bed rest, and I wasn't able to walk. And 
it was definitely the most physically painful time of my life. It was my first glimpse at chronic pain and what people deal with in terms of chronic pain and never knowing when something would end. I mean, I wasn't able to walk to the bathroom even. I just had to crawl. Wow. And my husband, we had a two-story apartment, but he slept on a camping pad next to me on the couch just to be nearby us. And that was just such a consolation to me. And it wasn't just the physical suffering, though that was agonizing. Once I was finally diagnosed, and then I was admitted into the hospital for a few days, and they thought I had another autoimmune disease, which thanks be to God, I don't have. Our pregnancy was considered more high risk. And there were all these fears around it, fears for the baby. And after I was discharged from the hospital, I had to have an OB appointment every other day. And it was just such a fearful time for us because the doctors still thought that there was a high chance of stillbirth at that point. And so we were really afraid. And my husband suggested that we start going to daily mass. And it was during the Lenten season. And it was just such a moving experience for me because... During Lent, the liturgical readings are all the lamenting psalms. And I felt like my prayers were really heard and echoed aloud by the liturgical reading. And I could offer my pregnancy at Mass each day. And it was a way to bring my suffering into the church and before God. And I think it's easier looking back now even because Damien was born healthily and I don't have the blood clot anymore to see what a transformational time it was. But even during the suffering, I can tell like how close my husband and I were becoming. I switched doctors and ended up with this amazing Catholic OB who was just so prayerful. And at every appointment, I mean, we were seeing him every other day. He would tell us how much God loved our baby and God loved us. And that was so moving. And it wasn't an experience I'd had before. And it wasn't an experience I would have had without the blood clot. And it was really clear to see how God was using this suffering that I couldn't control to draw Brian and I closer to him and then therefore closer to one another. And it was just one of the most intimate times in our marriage to share this suffering together. And for Brian, particularly, to see him just so radically turn to God only drew me closer too. And so it was like a really shared experience where I was both witnessing his faith and God working through him, but through us together. I mean, God just became so transparent to us through the other. That's really beautiful. And thank you for sharing. It strikes me as such a witness to the power of redemptive suffering and also the, like the undeniable presence of Christ in our deepest suffering. It makes me think of Mother Teresa who said that when we suffer, we're close enough to Christ on the cross that he can kiss us. And just that intimacy that is available in those moments. Yeah, I think a really important recognition for me that just became so obvious was Christ's own suffering with us. And we talked earlier about the question of why does God allow suffering in the world? as if he too hasn't embraced that suffering. 
And not only do we see Jesus embrace it on the cross, but also in our own trials and tribulations in our times of suffering, when we give that over to him, it was really clear to see like, just as Jesus wept at Lazarus' death, he too was weeping with me. That was particularly clear because we were in the Lenten season and so accompanied by the Psalms and scripture. And we just felt Jesus right there with us in those fears and sharing them and taking them over upon himself. And I think that was so critical in being able to enter into our suffering. Obviously, it was something that was before us always, but I think isn't a reality that we could have embraced in any other way if Christ hadn't unburdened those sufferings by taking them on himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's powerful. And I think that it also speaks to another important dynamic of suffering, which is this need to recognize and to have total faith in Christ's healing power and to beg for that and to, um, when we're suffering, to ask God, like the leper, if you wish, you can make me clean. Or like Christ's own prayer in Gethsemane, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass for me. But also, as you're praying for that deliverance, also coupling that with cooperation and openness to the different methods that that God might choose to use in your life. So for example, seeking the best medical care possible Mm -hmm. and taking care of your body in the ways that you needed to do. And you were doing that along with begging at Mass every day. You know, these two things are not opposed, but they're both core and interrelated parts of suffering. Yeah, I really like what you said there. And I think also to St. Therese of Lisieux, who is such a model for suffering well and was a model to me, I had been reading a really great book by Father Jacques Philippe during my pregnancy called Interior Freedom, which I found very helpful during this experience. And he talks about St. Therese of Lisieux and how she would always say, I only suffer in the present moment, and how it allowed her to not think about the past or the future where despair can really enter in, but instead to focus just on that moment and to offer that moment over to Christ. And that was really helpful to me because it was too overwhelming to consider the possibilities for the future. They were just seemed so bleak that I couldn't face them at all. But if I just stayed with the present moment where Christ is, then I could bear each moment And at times I could bear each moment gracefully Mm -hmm. and treat it as gift. At other times, I was obviously begging for this grace. Mm -hmm. And it also strikes me how in everything that we've been talking about has been implicit the point or the assumption that to suffer well, you have to be engaged in intense prayer. Because that's how we invite and recognize the presence of Christ in our darkest moments. And I think that what you were saying about the Psalms really resonated with me. I find that the Psalms are a huge comfort in times of suffering, precisely because a lot of times you can't put words to what you're feeling, or you might feel uncomfortable expressing these feelings of anger and brokenness to God. It can be difficult to learn how to do that. And the Psalms offer a vehicle for us to express these difficulties in really beautiful ways. Yeah, I totally agree. The Psalms cover the entire spectrum of human emotion. 
And they make us brave too, because in the Psalms, like you're saying, we see the psalmist unafraid to share the most vulnerable of prayers. And it's such a gift. And then I think it also enables us to really put our own heart there too and say, this is my prayer. This is what I'm asking of you. And I know that it isn't too much and it isn't too burdensome because you've given me this as your own word. Yeah, so I think we've established this as another point two in suffering, but it to say again in summary, to not be afraid to ask for healing and to be very specific and to believe that Jesus wants to heal you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to be bold in our prayer. And maybe something else to engage with all of our suffering, even the small suffering in relationship with Christ. This dynamic of prayer and openness and relationship is not just reserved for the greatest difficulties of our lives, but it's possible at every moment. You know, even a frustration that we might have, traffic on the way to work, that's something that we can live as a sacrifice to grow closer to Christ. And hopefully through these small sufferings, we become further conformed to him so that when we're presented with a great cross like yours in your pregnancy, we are able to turn to him. We have the tools and we have the instinct. And obviously it's a grace, but I think that it's also something that we can prepare ourselves for. Yeah, exactly. And I think that helps explain intentional moments of self-mortification too, like fasting. Those aren't taken upon freely because we hate food or we hate our bodies. It's the exact opposite. We recognize our bodies as gift and also a higher good present. And we're training our bodies to be equipped for more difficult sufferings and that our more obvious response would be to turn to God in those moments if we've practiced Mm -hmm. turning to God in all of our little sufferings, even ones we take upon ourselves. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's actually a really good transition to our weekly challenge. So do you want to share that? Yeah, I would love to. So our weekly challenge is to commemorate 3 p.m. on Friday when Jesus died by fasting or praying the Stations of the Cross or just entering into contemplative prayer before crucifix and really entering into the passion with Jesus at that moment. Yeah, I really like that. And another potential suggestion for what to do to commemorate that time, there's this really beautiful homily from the early church and it's anonymous. We don't know who wrote it, but if you search ancient homily on Holy Saturday, it will come up. It speaks beautifully to what we were talking about, Christ's redemptive suffering. And so if that's something that you've been thinking about and praying about, that might be a good option for this time of prayer. Yeah, Julie, do you want to share our media recommendation? Yeah. So for this episode, I wanted to recommend the book by Steinbeck. It's called East of Eden, and it's one of my favorite books of all time. So truth be told, I was just looking for an excuse to recommend it, (laughs) but it really explores this choice between good and evil in each of our lives and the choice between how to react to evil that has happened to us, so moments of suffering, and explores the role of human freedom before those dramatic moments. Yeah, I'm also a big fan of East of Eden, so I echo that recommendation. Well, thanks for joining us for another episode of The Pilgrim Soul. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. 
feel free to send us an email or reach out to us on our social media accounts. We look forward to being with you next week.